You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Tribe Supper, your go-to Middlesbrough FC podcast. We're here to discuss the latest ongoings with Middlesbrough. It's been um, it's been a couple of weeks. I've lost all timing since the season finished for Middlesbrough. Um, Craig, Dom, how have you guys been filling your timing since that final game of the campaign? Well, Joe Lumley signing um, kept us busy yesterday. It's a, it's a strange old time, isn't it? Because um, it's, I mean, it's it, it's kind of the calm after the season and stuff, but then. Uh, it's the um, it's where you kind of get your heads together and think right now what we're going to write about for, for three months or two months. Me and Craig were laughing earlier this week when you get the uh, the, the obviously uh, sorry the inevitable it's a slow news day gazette and you think well yeah of course, of course it is it's the end of the season there's no pre-season yet there's no signings yet so we'll get through Craig's away this weekend so that's what we're going So I thought Craig was going to come in there and tell us where he's going on his little pre-season break you, you, you put on the side hands up if you want to chat on me hands yeah, for both, me you've, got to, you've got to think about the idea ideal time to jump in and that was the segue to uh to a nice little pre-season chat are you going anywhere nice just just up to a caravan mate in haggerson castle uh just taking the bed up little family getaway a couple of days nice to just get the head down isn't it and uh end of season switch off for a couple of days and then uh, we'll be back, no doubt, with pre-season just around the corner and it all starts again then. So that's been more than a couple of weeks since the last game of the season. A 3-0 defeat to Wickham. I mean, they needed a, a swing of God knows how many goals. I think it was 13 to stay up and there might have been a few in the uh, the home end thinking they were going to get it. Um, not the best way to finish the season. We don't want to dwell on it too much, but... Craig, what did you make of that game? Was it just a case that it, it was what it was? It was the final game of the season, a long season, and you just kind of forget about it? Yeah, it was a strange one, really. I mean, there was no getting away from the fact that from, from Burroughs' point of view, it was it was absolutely awful. It was it was a terrible game, and, and understandably, you know, Warnock didn't really want to dwell too much on that performance as a whole after the game. He, he wanted to speak about the season uh, overall rather than just that one performance because it was a stinker. I think you have to appreciate, you know, everything Whitlam had done. Like you say, it was a 13-goal swing they needed on the final day to stay up, but, but just to take it to the final day the the season that they'd had you know they kind of came into the championship against all odds and uh and struggled in the first half of the season and um and and it was really you know a, a very decent second half of the season where you know they came to borough with kind of something to play for while knowing that it was all but impossible really but nevertheless I think that just showed the spirit and and the kind of fight that that Wickham team had and I think you know Gareth Ainsworth manages that team very well in terms of putting together making them hard to beat and making them you know a, a team full of spirit and, and you could see you know I mean they've just been relegated and, and 
but they'd won three 0 and we kind of asked him after the game, you know, mixed emotions, and, and there was none for him. He was he was just full of pride for for his team and for the fact that they'd even made it to the final day without that uh, that R next to the name on the league table. So I, I think it was you know just one of them games where unfortunately just Wigan wanted it more, and, and for Borough it was a stinker, but there was nothing much on it. We didn't learn anything new about that Borough squad or anything like that. Uh, it's just one to quickly forget about. I think. Just quickly on that, when Wickham scored the third, I did think at what point did they start rushing to get the ball out of the net and get it back to the centre circle? Uh, if they'd have got the fourth or the fifth, would they have thought, hey, hey oh, hold on. Um, but I, I do wonder, like there was a lot of praise, of the, and absolutely rightly so for Gareth Ains with the job he's done there, because I I mean, I had him completely written off. I thought he'd be one of those who'd gone, who'd gone early doors. But when you look at the form, uh, I mean, in the second half of the season, certainly in the last 10 or 11 games, the form, without looking at the form table, is is certainly up there. You do wonder whether very early on in the season, they, they perhaps kind of didn't quite believe that they did have a chance of staying up. Um, because to come so, so close, uh, I mean, you know, to be within a point of Derby, Christ almighty, Derby, um, it's been a dreadful season for them, aren't they? I was... Uh, I mean, I wanted Rotherham to stay up. I was gutted, and especially because to come as close as they did. But yeah, credit to Wickham. Um, and and although it was a disappointing end to the season, uh, although and although they were relegated already just about, you did feel as though they were going to come up and really look to go out on a high, which they did do. Um, but obviously, you were there, Craig. I enjoyed the bit you did afterwards, um, talking about the press room where you do where we do the post-match press conferences and. And the experiences of being within a doorway of uh, of the away dressing room this season. There was one story in there that I haven't that I hadn't heard about the manager giving him an absolute rollicking and then coming yeah. in and couldn't couldn't praise his players enough. Yeah, so I mean, just just for kind of context to anybody listening, the the way it's worked is set up at the Riverside this season is uh, what was the old press room. It, it is now the away dressing room this season, and and. Uh, what was the mix zone is is now a little press room that's been set up and and, and all that separates the two rooms is is a double door a pair of double doors and uh and yeah what Dom's referring to there was much earlier in the season and uh you know modesty I think I would it's uh, only fair to not name the manager in question but yeah there was uh one one night you could hear everything that was going on and there's some questionable tunes going on after games and things like that. But this one night, uh, you know, one manager really got stuck into his players. There were cowards, there were this, there were that. He absolutely raged at them. He, 30 seconds later, walked into the press room and, and c- couldn't speak with more pride at, uh, at, at his players' efforts. It was uh, That was brilliant. It was uh, just one of many bizarre uh, occurrences during this last season. Yeah, my highlight or low light was listening to Fat Man Scoop when Birmingham won at the Riverside. And George, George Friend assured me afterwards that he wasn't the DJ. I can't remember who he said was. Um, but I certainly wouldn't be singing it from the rooftops if that was me. <laughs> and you guys have uh, you've, you've met up with Warnock after the end of the season. We'll come to you first, Dom. Can you just explain to the listeners what that was all about and you know how you found the gaff? I know you guys have been in kind of close contact anyway with him throughout the season but why were you guys invited down to to meet him kind of in person yeah to be honest it was just kind of a uh, it sounds daft given given that he's been in charge however long now but uh, it was just a bit of a getting to know you get together really because uh you, you know how much warnock loves um and talks about the the importance of of um 
kind of really getting the grips with an area and the club and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, he, and, you know, he treats press conferences uh, just as a casual chat a lot of the time, doesn't he? They've, they've been excellent for us and for fans this season. Um, but given that everything's been over Zoom, it was just kind of a casual half an hour coffee, getting to know you, um, informal chat really, which which was which was good. Uh, before obviously he headed back to, to Cornwall for the summer for a for a well earned break. Um, so yeah, it was nothing because I know that the um, kind of some fans had heard him mention it at the end of the press conference after the Wickham game and, and thought it was going to be kind of more of a formal press conference, but it was nothing like that. It was just a kind of casual chat, um, Warnock telling some of his kind of tales from from years gone by about some of the uh, some of the clubs he's, he's managed and whatnot. Uh, so it was good. It was good. Uh, and it was just good to be able to, to sit down with him. Um, as I say, given that given that uh, we've, we've been over Zoom this year, because from a journalist's point of view, um, I can't imagine there's many better managers to actually go and speak to in person every week than, than Neil Warnock. He's, he's, been a, he's been excellent for us. And if you, I mean, you can't see it, but I'll just describe what the background is on Craig's, in Craig's room. He's got a lovely Middlesbrough top hanging from the wardrobe and a couple of Borough books as well. My eyesight's not that great, so I can't really tell you what the titles are, but I do believe that shirt is signed by Warnock himself. That's right, yeah. I mean, it was uh, quite shameless of me to do it, but uh, I thought, why not? It's my first season covering the Borough. That's, uh, that was the shirt that they wore in that season. And and obviously, you know, for, for from a journalist's point of view, Neil Warnock is an absolute dream. He, as Don said, he, you know, it's it's great to meet up with him every week and he always provides you with great lines, etc. So, uh, so yeah, a bit shameless, but uh, I just asked him to sign it and uh, hopefully be getting it framed soon and up on the wall. So. What books Great. are they? I can't see. What books are they? Have you got up there? So there's uh, there's David Brooms, the little fella. Uh, David oh, yes, writing uh, writing a nostalgia column for us every week now on on Tayside Live, and then there's a definitive history of of the borough as well. Bought that one just before I started to dip in and and, and do a bit of research and studying before I started the job last uh, last year. At least at least David sent sent one of us a copy. Yeah. <laughs> I know David from a, a long time ago. We used to play five aside down in Burton. Um, I was much faster than him, so I'll just put that in there. Um, he didn't really much either, most to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> no one ever does. Um, I want to ask you, Craig, about Warnock, and like you say, it's your first year, so you've had a bit of a surreal experience, you know, reporting with no fans in the ground, the press conferences have been over, over Zoom, etc. Um, but in terms of when you write something critical of Warnock, how does he respond? How does he react to critical pieces? Because we know certain managers up and down the country handle criticism a little bit better than others. So I'm just wondering in terms of getting that balance between, you know, praise and criticism, how Warnock reacts to that. But it's an interesting one because he is kind of, I guess you'd call him almost one of a dying breed in that, you know, he values the the regional journalists and, and he reads absolutely everything. He picks up, you know, uh, the two papers every morning and, uh, and and reads them cover to cover. And uh, yeah, there was, I'm sure many fans will remember earlier in the season, there was that... Um, 
post-stroke uh, press conference where um, I got a bit of a telling off for the the match report that I'd uh, that I'd given the the previous game after the Stoke defeat, and that was an awful day for me because I also got caught speeding on the way, as we've discussed previously on the podcast. So uh, a ticking off from the boss and three points on the driving license. It wasn't uh, and a trip to Stoke. I mean, who who the hell wants to go to Stoke? So yeah, it wasn't my finest day covering uh, the borough that one, but. Uh, but yeah, in general, you know, I think he, he understands that we, you know, we've got a job to do, and um, you know, he knows that we'll we'll support him as much as we can. But we we also, you know, when it isn't good, we have to see it. It hasn't been good because otherwise, you know, we lose our integrity. We we've got to be, you know, separate from the club, but also be there to support the club. I think. And for you, Dom, I mean, you've done this job for quite a while, and obviously, we don't want to we don't want to slate any previous managers. But I was just wondering. In terms of ranking or um, previous managers, where does it rank working with Warnock compared to those who you've worked with prior? Yeah, Warnock's well, from a journalist's point of view, Warnock's been the best by far. Um, Jonathan Woodgate was was really good last year. You know, really um, honest, probably probably a little bit too honest at times, but um, he he Woodgate was the same as Warnock in that. He completely understood that you've you've got a job to do, and and I remember um, <clears throat> after Woodgate's unveiling, he came back in and had a chat with us. There was only three or four of us still in the press room, and he came back in and had a chat with us. And he said, then, like you know, look, I I, I completely understand and accept the criticism is going to come my way. It's part of the game. I think what Woodgate felt, and and I would imagine all managers would would um, would say this is as long as it's constructive, um, you know. So we talked about this previously, but. For example, with Woodgate, I see I see some of the personal criticism he gets that's absolutely ridiculous, angers me every single time. Um, and and for a Teesider who who was absolutely desperately trying to succeed in his dream job, um, that, that, you know I, I thought that was disappointing. But we won't go we won't go over that. But Woodgate completely completely got it, and Warnock does too. And I, I always say I've said this to Craig a few times, like in the job you you're going to write stuff that people don't like um that that is part and parcel of it unfortunately but you, you just prefer that um that whoever it is if, if there is an issue just comes and chats to you about it and explains why they're not happy with with what you've written and, and tells uh, their side of the story because you know we won't for one minute um pretend that we get everything right here you know, especially when we're judging a game you know i'll often I'll often write a report, I'll do ratings, and then the next morning look back and think, ah, you know, I, I got that one wrong, I, I misjudged that, especially with, with ratings, um, where to be fair, you've got your head, you've got your head buried in the laptop rather than on the pitch for the bulk of the second half. But um, you know, if, if I'd, I'd much prefer if if someone wasn't best pleased, that they just kind of have a chat about it and explain their side of it. Um, and there's been a few times this season when Warnock hasn't hasn't been niggly at all, but he's 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 let you know that you know he didn't necessarily agree with something that was written and explain why, which is absolutely fair enough. That's part of the game, isn't it? Yeah, most certainly. And how does Warnock kind of sum up this season? Then obviously we know the playoff dream died well before the end of the season, and it has been a strange one as we've mentioned due to COVID and what have you, but. Craig, how how do you think Warnock has seen this season, and has he seen positives to move on into the next campaign? Despite you know, because many people will see this summer as a as a kind of a big rebuilding job because you are losing some big characters like we've seen Fletcher, Asombalonga's gone. So you know, yeah, is is this is there a platform for him to build on? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a good question. Just going back to the kind of how was he how was he seen this season? Because of course, after the the Wickham game, he uh, he had his press conference and and kind of caught up in the emotion of it all, as he sometimes does. He he described the season as fabulous, and obviously, uh, you know, coming from where Borough did last season, where there were you know battling relegation and and very nearly you know at one point looked like they were going to go down and. Uh, to then this season be kind of always looking up rather than down. There was never really a point in the season, well, in fact, there never was a point in the season where you were worried about kind of relegation. So in that point, it has been a season of progress, but but I think, you know, even Warnock himself appreciated when we when we met up, as you as you noted earlier, um, you know, he kind of grimaced when he remembered that he'd, he'd called it fabulous in that press conference. And, you know, he, he's an emotional guy, as Neil Warner, particularly after games. It's a, it's a difficult situation, I always think, for managers, particularly after defeats like the Wickham one, where, you know, within 15 minutes of the game, they're in the press room and they've got to quickly get their emotions in check to to give their opinion of the game. And, and he appreciated then, you know, a couple of days later when we did meet up with him at Rockcliffe, that that fabulous was the the wrong word to have used. And actually, before that Wickham game, we'd asked him in the press conference for his kind of review of the season. And um, he'd graded it a B then. Um, with, he joked that just like his school reports, it was there. Uh, could do better, Warnock. Um, just like your skill report of the year, but um, yeah, I think that's I think that's a fair um, assessment of it as well. You know, he's he's frustrated that actually the season fizzled out because I think we can all appreciate that at one point Borough really did look good for those playoffs and it just did fizzle out for for various reasons. But um, in in terms of the second part of that question and kind of being optimistic for next season, I think there's definitely that. You, you mentioned the big characters leaving, but they're, they're not only big characters, but they're also big wages. Uh, it's been a chance to kind of almost clear the decks in terms of those those big wages, those legacy wages from from that terrible kind of 2017 transfer window, summer transfer window with Gary Monk. Um, you know, Johnny Housen is, I believe, one of the only players now from that summer who's still at the club and, and he signed a new deal last season where he agreed to a pay cut. So, you know, the clubs have been able to, to kind of, um, you know, lower the wage bill uh, ahead of a summer where Warnock will hopefully now get the kind of players that he wants. He knows the championship like the back of his hand. He knows how to get promotion from the championship. And he sees something in this core group of players that he's got at the club. You, you're talking about the likes of Deal Fry, Marcus Tavernier, Paddy McNair, Duncan Watmore, uh, Johnny House. And there's, there's, there's this big core of players that he's, well, not big, but there is this core, this nucleus of players that he sees a lot in. And, and as he said on many occasions himself the the challenge now is is finding the right um you know if you like jigsaw puzzles to add to what he's already got um to uh, jigsaw pieces sorry to add to what he's got to to then you know help burrow go to the next level and i think we can all say that ultimately that is is up front that's that's what he needs having already got his goalkeeper in joel Lumley. well that was where we're going to go next and we will talk about the the striking situation in a moment. But as you mentioned there, Craig, Joe Lumley has signed um, his contract Queen Park Rangers came to an end. And interesting to hear what Warnock had to say about, you know, his first signing of the summer. And he said, I'm delighted to have signed Joe. I've always rated him highly and I look forward to him joining us. I know he's excited about coming here and he can't wait to play in front of the Riverside crowd. And just before we get on to, to the signing of Joe, um, I mean, Dom, the fact that, fans will be allowed back into the stadium 
hopefully a full house next season. That's going to be another big sell for potential, you know, targets, isn't it? That you can play in front of this passionate crowd next season at the other side. Yeah, I mean, it was certainly a sell for Neil Warnock, wasn't it? He talked about how um, he doesn't think he'd have been able to motivate himself for another for another season behind closed doors. Um, we know that he bounces off fans and and, and the atmosphere, both both uh, fans of his of his side and the opposition. Um, so I, I mean, I, I think everyone's just buzzing to be back now. Just just watching the games recently, the FA Cup final, the playoff games, um, the Premier League games this week. It just that sense of occasion, that because that's what it is, isn't it? It's 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 the feel of a, of an occasion and not just a game. Uh, you know, I, I watched Man United Liverpool last Thursday, um, and Man United Liverpool would normally, for for a football fan, be be kind of one of the one of the standout games in the football calendar. It just felt like you know what what games on tonight then, um, and you'll you'll watch it in the background. It, that kind of sense of occasion feels like it's disappeared over this season. Um, because of the lack of atmosphere at games and because I think there's just football on every single night at every time of game uh, every time of day um so I can't wait I can't wait for the for the uh, for the for the atmosphere and I know I can only imagine the players feel the same I've read a few pieces this week from reporters who cover clubs where there's been fans in and they've talked about just seeing the reaction of the players especially when they come out and the and, and they kind of, um, you know, hear the roar for the first time when the names are announced and they hear the roar. Um, Craig, I wasn't at the Bournemouth game. Craig was there. But I know a few mates who were and said that the noise that the 1,000 made that day was was like there was kind of 15,000, 20,000 in. Um, so, so, you know, we've been it's incredibly lucky to be at the games. I, I appreciate that. You know, every game we've been to, I've appreciated. But I just, I just can't wait to get back and, and feel that sense of occasion now. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that Bournemouth game there, as you say, I, w- I was there that day and there. You know, one thing sticks out in, in my mind from that, and it was it was actually before the game when when the teams were being announced. And, and there was a, a young boy sat not far down from the press box uh, in the upper tier. And, uh, yeah, every, it was before the game and they were doing the team announcements as they do, reading the players' names out. And, and just seeing him... That young boy, he, he, he cheered and he, he kind of, you know, he got really passionate as they were reading out every mirror player's name, as, as fans often do at that point. And it was just such a lovely moment. And it's it's little things like that that are just massively missed this season. Uh, and, and like Don says, I can't wait to have fans back in. And on the arrival then of, of uh, Joe Lumley, Dom, uh, how important is it to get a, a goalkeeper of his standard in? I mean, it was massively important to get uh, to get uh, probably two goalkeepers this this summer when you consider that Jordan Archer's contract is expiring. Um, you know, when we're at the uh, as we're recording this, there's been no word on the on the retained list yet, but but that that will come shortly. Um, but we know Marcus Bettinelli's gone back to to Fulham after his loan. Well, his Fulham contract expires, but his his loan move has expired at Borough. It was pretty underwhelming last summer. Well, that, that's probably been kind, really. Um, last summer, when Bettinelli signed, I, I thought he looked the ideal kind of capture, really, of what Borough needed, that experienced um, goalkeeper in, in the Championship who's been there and done it, and he won promotion with Fulham previously. Um, he, was on the, he was on England's radar at one point, but, you know, he had a disappointing season, Bettinelli. As, as for Lumley, um, you know, from what I gather, Neil Warnock sees him as his number one. He's been a number one previously. He had two years uh, just about as, as number one for QPR, but then lost his place this season. 
Um, we saw what he was capable of this year uh, when he when he came on for the last half an hour when Dieng was sent off at the Riverside. Um, now, obviously, Borough didn't sign him purely on on uh, on that on that half an hour performance. He was on he was on Neil Warnock's radar before that. But um, you can you can well imagine that that kind of only emphasised in in the manager's mind that yeah, this is a this is a keeper that I want here. Um, I think he's, he's I, yeah, I won't fall into the cliche trap of saying he's a good age, but at, at 26, you know, he's going to be coming and thinking, this is my chance to really nail down and, and keep the gloves for, for years and years to come. Um, he, he, he's had numerous loan clubs. I was listening to a podcast this morning where he said he's, he's had more clubs than Rory McIlroy. Um, but I think he'll feel now that, that he's served his time and this is his chance to really really nail down a spot uh, and become an established number one um but it is important obviously to get that goalkeeper in because we know as i said that Borough need to um but also to get one to get one in early doors warnock's talked so much about that about the importance of of having at least two or three in by the time pre-season um by the time pre-season gets underway and the squad report back to rockcliffe you know for lumpy now he can go away he can enjoy his holiday or his break um, safe in the knowledge that this future wrap is wrapped up and the will have to move on to other areas and other targets. Of course, I mean, the main area now is probably to get a, a striker or two in. Craig, Don mentions there, Warnock would like to get them in early. I mean, do you have anything to say to the listeners? Any hope uh, that, you know, a striker or two could be in before the preseason kicks off? Well, they're certainly doing a lot of work. Obviously, they've made movements for uh, James Collins down at Luton, but he's ultimately decided to go to uh, to Cardiff. But, you know, they've done a lot of homework kind of in the last few months of the season, uh, bringing together a, quite an extensive list of, of potential targets. And, um, you know, there's one um, in particular that they are kind of looking at now and in discussions about that, uh, Michael Smith at uh, at Rotherham. But I'm sure there are many, many others uh, on, on Burroughs list who, who they are looking at and who they are trying to bring in. I mean, you know, I think it's just good, particularly after missing out on, on James Collins with it, with, uh, with Collins deciding to go to Cardiff. I think getting Lumley in was, was good and it was timely because it helps reset the mood and, you know, you miss out on Collins and suddenly your summer's off to a bad start. But, you know, they've got they've got Lumley, who sounds like exactly what they need. Uh, I was speaking to a, a QBR correspondent uh, last night after he signed and, and he was basically telling us that he's, he's, he's a natural shot stopper. That's his strength. Uh, and we saw that in that... 32-minute cameo at the Riverside with two point-blank reaction saves. They were really, really good saves, and, and by all accounts, that is what he's good at. And, and, and you know, if we look at where Bettinelli's weaknesses were last season, he had the third-worst shot per save ratio in the whole of the championship last season. Um, Borough were quite solid defensively in the hall. Yes, mistakes started creeping in, but in the hall they were very solid and a lot of the time goals were going past Bettinelli that probably shouldn't have gone past Bettinelli. So the, the, the sounds are that, that Lumley will be somebody who comes in and should stop that, uh, which, which is good. And as I say, after missing out on, on Collins, getting that goalkeeper tied up, as Dom says, getting someone in early is good. And, and fingers crossed, pre-season starts July the 1st. It gives them a good few weeks now to continue working on, on other targets because you know, they really do need at least one, but preferably two strikers in for the start of pre-season. I know we've discussed it briefly, but Dom, I mean, do we have any idea of what the budget is or is it going to be largely concentrated on loan signings, Bosman's, 
Um, because, you know, we, we talk about the strikers they need and then that's not going to be cheap. And there's probably other areas of the pitch as well that Warnock will be looking to target. Yeah, I, I mean, Warnock said on a number of occasions that he certainly won't be knocking um, Steve Gibson's door down and demanding money, especially given the given the circumstances in the financial landscape after the last couple of years or after the last season and a half. Um, you know, d- d- you, I'm sure you've read or seen the lists doing the rounds of the free agents. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of players at every level. Um, and Warnock has talked both on and off the record, about the need for, for agents and players to be realistic this season, really. And, um, you know, if, if they go into a if they go into a club or, or talks demanding one thing, then they might very quickly have their expectations expectations changed by, by what's going to be on offer. Um, for Mara Diaudo, for example, of Bristol City is one example. You know, the suggestions are from, from Bristol City that he what he wanted um, <clears throat> was was way above what the Robins were willing to pay, despite their former chief executive saying, I think it was words to the effect of it was the, one of the best contracts the club have, have ever offered. Um, uh, <clears throat> so that that is certainly going to be something to consider. Um we know for a fact from history that, that Steve Gibson will do everything he can to support his managers. And, and we know that he has an excellent uh, relationship with Neil Warnock. So, so if he can, um, if, if, you know, if there's a player who isn't a free transfer or who isn't a loanee um, and, and, and there's a fee required, then if Steve Gibson can uh, support Neil Warnock, he obviously will. But, you know, it's, it's obvious that at Borough and everywhere else in the Championship, there's going to be no stupid fees paid out uh, this summer because um, the climate quite simply won't allow it. Mm, it's going to be interesting, I think, up and down the leagues, isn't it, to see how much money is spent. And of course, you know, Middlesbrough have got a few decent youngsters coming through. And uh, I mean, Craig, do you see any of the, the names that we've, you know, we've previously discussed on the podcast breaking in? into the first team, you know, I mean, they'll have to impress in pre-season, but then is it a case that they might get shipped out on loan or do you see any of them breaking into the first team for the next campaign? Yeah, Warnock's obviously sporting about the majority of them. They are going to look uh, to get them out on loan next season because I think that that experience of of playing first-team football, you know, elsewhere will be important to their development. And then, of course, next season, Burroughs, you know, hopes and aspirations are, are to, to kind of challenge for promotion in the championship. And, and the reality is that for many of these youngsters, um, they're not going to be able to do that week in, week out in a consistent level to be at that level. Um, and, and, and so rather than kind of being a squad player, being a squad number in the Borough squad, it, it's better for some of them. Uh, thinking more long term to get them out on loan playing elsewhere. Having said that, you know, Warnock does keep seeing many of these youngsters kind of often go away in the close season. He, he says they go away as boys and they come back as men because a big part of, of, of kind of being ready at this level is, the, of course, the physicality. Um, there are some very, very talented youngsters and the same experience is one of the only things that lets them down because there is a lot of genuinely talented youngsters on the Borough Books. And then, you know, Isaiah Jones has just spent the second half of the season on Lawn and Queen of the South. And um, 
if I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think he got eight assists and one goal in his first nine appearances for for Queen of the South. It was it was something that his his record was something like that. It was really phenomenal, and he 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 really did well down there. So I would imagine he's one that uh, that one that will be quite that keen to have a look on this summer. And you know he, we saw others on the bench in in or coming on in recent weeks like Josh Corburn and Conor Malley, and um, who. Because, you know, as we mentioned, Borough's squad is so small, certainly in those early weeks of pre-season before we can start getting, you know, the squad built up with with new incomings, with new arrivals, these young players will have to be involved, I would imagine, in the uh, in, in the early weeks of pre-season and the, probably the first few games too. So, so that is their chance, you know, the chance is there for them to go and prove that actually they don't need a loan spell, they're ready now. Um, and, and, you know, it's up to them to take that. I think I think the main thing, um, and we know this from the end of the season, is Warnock won't play or won't give any young lads a chance just for the sake of giving them a chance. He, he you, you know, he, he included Sam Flaren and Isaiah Jones in the uh, in the squad earlier in the season on merit, and and that was the same with the likes of Jack Robinson and Conor Malley and Josh Coburn at the end of the season. Um, <clears throat> and I think each each youngster uh, it'll be kind of. Um, the decision will be made on, on an individual basis, really. You know, he's, he's said previously that while Coburn is, is 18 and, and you know, if, if you think three strikers are going to come in, if Warnock gets his way, then chances are going to be hard to come by. But Warnock has said that he's not sure that sending him out on loan in, in, in the summer is necessarily the right move. He, you know, is he better off kind of under the under the eye, uh, under the watchful eye of, of the coaches who've worked with him and have improved him in the last few months? Um Conor Malley has, has had a couple of loan spells away that haven't gone to plan. And, and, you know, I've listened to Neil Madison on BBC T's talk about how he thinks Malley is actually better suited to playing in the championship and playing at a higher level than dropping down in the League One, in the League Two or whatever. Um, then there's Nathan Wood. I've, I've written a piece on Nathan Wood today after speaking to, to a journalist who covers crew. And, and it's an interesting one with Wood because um, Peter Morse, who I spoke to, who covers crew, couldn't speak highly enough of Wood, said, you know, he, he described him as a proper player, has got all the attributes, basically said, um, in terms of quality, there's nothing stopping him going to the top, which which we know, you know, the coaches at Borough and at Rockland have been telling us that for a couple of seasons now, ever since Tony Pulis included him in that squad to go to Germany when he was um, 16, just turned 16, by the way, which was staggering, you know, I think back to when I'd just turned 16, Christ. Um so, you know, you, you think of um, Nathan Wood, he's been in, in the squad for, for a couple of years now. But but if he comes back and, and isn't going to play regularly, then Warnock will probably look at it and think, well, I don't want him sat on the bench every week. You know, he's, he's better off going out and playing regularly again. As I say, he's only 18. But then if you're going to do that, do you then need to bring another centre-half in? Um, just, there's just been one or two hints, I think, that we might see more of Paddy McNair in midfield than, than defence uh, next season. Might be wrong on that. Um, but just one or two things Warnock has said that, that makes me wonder. Um, but then you've got Grant Hall and Dale Fry and, and Anthony Dykesfield. If he plays a three, um, you can play him in the centre. Um, but if you were then to send Wood out, you'd probably need to bring one in. So, so these are all things to consider. You look at Steve Walker. He's another young lad. I think Walker is going to need another loan this this year hasn't really got a plan for him. He's played quite a bit of football, but mainly as a substitute for, for MK Tons and crew. So he probably needs another needs another loan. Um but it's an interesting one. I think first things first, Warnock needs to get players in. As Craig said, a lot of these young lads are probably going to be part of pre-season just because of 
um, of, of bodies really, and because Warnock's going to want to have a good look at them. You know, he talked about how impressed he was with Wood last summer. Um, the likes of Isaiah Jones, you know, he's going to want to see how they've developed and what these loan moves have done for him. And one or two of them might might change his mind, as he said. Um, but once he's got players in, then I think we'll start seeing decisions being made on on what happens with these young lads on a short term on a short term basis. Uh, playoffs, lads, still going on. Um, so I'm just wondering out of the teams that are battling for the last place up into the Premier League, who you would like to see go up and, and the reason why. I mean, obviously Bournemouth is a it's a heck of a long trip, isn't it, in a way day. So maybe you, you, one of you might say Bournemouth to go up just to avoid the travel. I think not not just to avoid the travel. I think I think actually for 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 Woodgate's case, like I'd I'd actually like Bournemouth to go up for for Woodgate actually, um, uh, and 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 obviously they do have the the Premier League parachute payments still if they weren't to go up. So you know they, 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 they you're looking at the teams. Obviously Norwich and Watford have gone straight back up, so that won't be a factor. But you know the three teams coming down from the Premier League this summer and then Bournemouth are going to have that little bit of extra spending power next season because of the Premier League parachute payments. And, and you know, it's probably a podcast for another day to, to get into the, the nitty-gritty of how ridiculous those parachute payments are. But uh, but it does give them an advantage. And, and so looking at it from that perspective as well, from Bo's point of view, um, Bournemouth going up might be a good thing. But then you look at Brentford, for example, or... You know, they're a really strong team and they recruit really well. And because of the way that they recruit and then sell on, their finances are in good check. But if they don't go up, is Ivan Tony going to move to the Premier League? How often can they keep doing this kind of model of, of sell on and then find an adequate replacement? So far, you can't knock them. They've done it time and time again. So key players leave and you think, that how are they going to replace him? And, and they keep doing so. But uh but yeah, uh, if Tony were to leave this summer when Brentford were to go up, it would be interesting to see how much of a threat they were next season. Because for some reason, despite such good recruitment, despite so many good players, they just came, seemed to keep falling short, Brentford. Um, and I can't quite put my finger on it. But yeah, I think looking at par- parachute payments as a factor and, and wanting Jonathan Woodgate to be successful, uh, I, I, I do hope Bournemouth go up by the playoffs. Yeah, I'd love I'd love Woody to take Bournemouth up. Um... On, on the plus side, if Bournemouth stayed down, it meant I'd be able to go to that pizza place again that I went to when I went to a couple of months ago because that was absolutely beauty. I can't think of the name, actually, but I've got the receipt somewhere from when I put it through an expenses, so I'd have to dig that out if Bournemouth don't go up. But I'd love them to go up. Um, as Craig says, well, Brentford, you know, when, when they lose players, you think, for oh, he's going to take some replacing, but they always seem to find a way... Um, I, I, the one thing with Brentford, I do wonder, uh, if they weren't to go up this year, the, the kind of psychological blow of coming so close again, you know, how they didn't manage to last year, they made an absolute mess of it, didn't they, when they lost at home at Barnsley on the final day, um, and then obviously lost in the playoff final to Fulham. This season, they were automatic promotion contenders for the most part, just kind of came up short a little bit late on, although in fairness um, to them, it was more really the, the form of Norwich and Watford. Um, ones you've got the type of model where you think they'll always come back strong. You know, they lost the likes of Conor Gallagher and, and Rian Brewster last year, and I, and I thought they'd struggle to to um, to repeat their, to repeat back at the top six. But you know, and Steve Cooper, they've, they've got a very good manager, although he's been linked with Palace, and you wonder 
um, you wonder how long he'll stick around for. And then there's Barnsley. You know, it's easy to think if Barnsley don't go up, then that'll be them done and they'll, they'll probably fall back in, around the mid-table pack. Um, but I'll hold my hands up and say that I, I, I do probably think that's the case. But, you know, for the bulk of the for the bulk of the running, teams knew exactly what they were coming up against for Barnsley, but they still couldn't necessarily stop it. Um, and Orkwell, without fans, has been a difficult place to go this season. You know, you can imagine it with fans if they're doing well. Um, so so I, I suppose from, from Borough's point of view, Barnsley, you would imagine, would be the weakest team next season. Um, but then, you, you know, any of the others, you know, Bournemouth, they have got a lot of high earners, the likes of Dan Juma and Billing and others. You would think they'd have to have a uh, offload a fair few if they didn't go up. Um, so it'll be interesting. And in terms of coming up, you know, Sunderland are making a mess of it again. I watched that game against Lincoln on um, on Wednesday night. Um, Blackpool have done a good job. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I was I was listening and reading the Forest and Derby fans discussing Forest fans discussing whether they wanted Derby to go down. And it was very much split. Some absolutely wanted rid of them and others wanted them to stay up so they could have those games. And I've got to be honest, you know, for me, having Sunderland in the championship, it's, as I previously said, that sense of occasion, those games to look forward to. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? So, um, you know, if they did come up, that would obviously be the first game we look out for when the, when the games are announced in the summer. Uh, I'm looking forward to going to Peterborough next year. I've, I've never done Peterborough. Nice, easy one on the train, isn't it? Um, I like Barnsley to come up. I think it would just be a, just that kind of the romantic side of football. No one expected them to do so well, you know. No one expected them to get in the playoffs, and there they are battling away. It would be it would be great to see them get up into the top flight, but I don't think it is going to happen. You know um, what? I'm, uh, I'm going to call it now. Just, just quickly, I, I think uh, I don't know when the game is. Is it Saturday? I, I think they'll beat Swansea in the second leg. I think they'll get to the final. I think it'll be a Bournemouth-Barnsley Bournemouth final. And, and just picking up on what you said there, Musgrove, I tell you, if Barnsley get to the Premier League and stick to the same kind of model that they've got now, there's nothing romantic about it, let me tell you. They'll uh, they'll shock a few Premier League sides next season with that style. Well, that's the romantic side about it, isn't it? Getting the getting the wins against the, the, the big teams and, you know, taking the game to them. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to see Barnsley get up. So, hopefully... Uh, Dom's right about them beating Swansea uh, this weekend. Just to wrap up then, lads, let's talk about player of the year for Middlesbrough, your picks for who stood out the most. We'll start with you, Craig. Who's the player that you would say was Borough's player of the season? Yes, I think um, the obvious choice and the winner of, of our polls from supporters was, was Paddy McNair. And, you know, he did have an absolutely brilliant season. There's no getting away from that. But just for me personally, and I, I often wonder if this is because it's my first season covering the Borough and because I've never really watched him at such close quarters before. But for me, watching Deal Fry, um, he, he just looks like the complete package uh, as a central defender. He, he has just about everything you would want in a central defender. Um, and you know, hopefully, there's no recruitment teams from from other clubs listening to this. Uh, uh, if they are, he's uh, he's he's weak at everything. Is Deal Fry, but uh, but but no, um, he, he was absolutely immense. And I think credit to him is when he wasn't in the team, Borough didn't ever look as strong defensively. Um, so for me, that's why I always felt I would go with Deal Fry as, as Borough's player of the season. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd I'd go with McNair as, as the fans. Um, he was the runaway winner when we did that poll. I, I think I think McNair's been brilliant this season. I've I've loved watching him. I think he's been a a bit of a Rolls Royce at the back, really. Um, largely unflustered. Uh, excellent going forward as well, and the set pieces have been have been have been brilliant. So so I'd go with McNair, who who's getting better, who's got better with every season he's been at Borough, which boards well for next season. And I, and I know we've had this conversation, uh, and Borough fans have had this conversation so many times over the years, but it just makes it all the more baffling when you look back to Tony Pulis's first full season and last season in charge. He, he signed McNair, and McNair barely played. And, and um, uh, you know, given how much Pulis loves and cherishes set pieces, to think that, you know, you, you didn't make the most of his delivery and... And you know, Borough were crying out for a box to box midfield man that summer, but sorry that season. But as I say, that's an argument that, that's um, that's been trotted out a fair bit over the years. Uh, I, McNair, for me, I completely agree with you, Craig. I think Dale Fry has been really good. I think both Fry and Tavernier have had the season that they, that they needed. They've both taken a, a big step forward. They've both been in and around the first team for years, but really established themselves this year. Um, and, and I agree with Warnock that that, that they should. Uh, he says they will be playing Premier League football um, in the it, it, not this season, but the, not next season, but the season after, and hopefully that's with Borough. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, to you guys listening, thank you for tuning in. Please remember to like and subscribe to the podcast and pass it around your Middlesbrough support and friends and family. Head over to, to Teesside Live to follow all the latest Middlesbrough FC news.